I'm Brian Hu. I'm Ada Singh. And welcome to Saturday School. When your friends are watching Saturday morning cartoons, you're being forced to learn Asian American pop culture history. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Saturday School. This is our semester on Asians do Asian America. We're exploring how Asian films portray us as Asian Americans and how it's similar or different to how Hollywood portrays Asian Americans. Spoiler, it's different. <laughs> it's a little bit different. But equally strange, I suppose. Yeah. And all of our listeners from Hong Kong, <laughs> this is your episode. <laughs> We're looking at two films. Gen X Cops from 1999 and Gen Y Cops from 2000, both directed by Benny Chan, produced by Jackie Chan. Produced very loosely. They just put his name on it, basically. Gen Y Cops, which is a sequel to Gen X Cops, I didn't realize, has another English title now called Metal Mayhem, which is about as inane as Gen Y Cops, (laughs) as far as titles go. And for those of you who are not familiar with Gen X Cops and Gen Y Cops, It's not only kind of like the who's who of Asian Americans that made it big in the Hong Kong film scene. Gen Y Cops is also the movie that Paul Rudd did post-Clueless pre-Anchorman. These are the dark days of Paul Rudd. (laughs) These are the we don't realize Paul Rudd is really funny days. He might be accidentally funny at least. I guess you could argue about whether he is funny, but his hair is hilarious. (laughs) It's of its time. It's like bleached blonde. Actually, it's kind of after its time. It's like 2000 doing 1998 so i'm excited to talk to you about this brian because i've heard that you cover these films in your recent book worldly desires i don't know the subtitle chinese cinema from 1970 and beyond i need a new manager well i got worldly desires correct right that's true it's true yes uh, (laughs) i do talk about this movie both of them Actually, like, so maybe we should say that there was a wave of films in Hong Kong and also by extension tied to Taiwan culture in the late 90s, early 2000s that we can call ABC fever. And by ABC, we mean American-born Chinese, which is a label that's created by people in Taiwan and Hong Kong to describe Chinese Americans and Chinese Canadians, Chinese Australians, uh, overseas Chinese, basically. I have to admit that I knew about this fever. I did not know it was called ABC fever. I don't know if it's actually a thing. Oh, did you coin it? We may have just coined it right now. Is that what you use in your book? I don't think I refer to it as anything in the book. Oh, well, let's call it ABC fever. (laughs) It seemed like something that could be true and maybe should be true. Well, I think fever is a good word for it because it is certainly hot and it might be a sickness. (laughs) In the mid-90s, late 90s, places like Taiwan and Hong Kong suddenly discovered overseas Chinese as distinct from the kind of overseas Chinese that we've been talking about in movies like Home Sweet Home from Taiwan or An Autumn's Tale from Hong Kong, where these are people who moved from Hong Kong and Taiwan to the United States or to Canada and were immigrants. So what I discuss in my book is that what's even weirder than the fact that there are people from Hong Kong and Taiwan who want to move abroad and the weird shenanigans they discover abroad, is that the result of the shenanigans is they have kids. 
and they decide to stay overseas. And their kids are kind of like them, kind of like people of Hong Kong and Taiwan, but are like the weird mutated bastardized versions. It's like they've been exposed to radioactive, sexualized air overseas. I was going to ask, not to interrupt you with my ABC fever shenanigans, but <laughs> when did this happen? When was Daniel Wu doing like a gay movie in the grand scheme of them discovering this ABC fever? So, I mean, it, it predates that, but slightly. So like in the mid-90s in Taiwan... In early 90s, you have LA Boys. Ah. And they're this like rap trio from Southern California. First you gotta start with the ABCs. Then you gotta learn it like the Taiwanese. Not very good rappers. Uh, at least at the time, they got better as it went on. And then they were just hunky guys who liked to frolic with their shirts off. And they were very muscular. And they could dance. They rapped in English, so who knows if they're rapping well? Are you saying that from the perspective of a Chinese speaker? Yeah, for a Chinese audience. Oh, I see, I see. They're rapping in English. Like, it sounds novel, at the very least. This is also like early hip-hop. There wasn't really even Chinese-language hip-hop so much in Taiwan or Hong Kong. So that anybody was doing it at all was kind of unique. And they would go on TV shows and be interviewed, and then their Mandarin would be terrible or pretty much non-existent. What was weird about the LA boys was their Taiwanese is better than their Mandarin, but both of them were pretty bad. So part of their charm was that they look like these macho, hyper-masculine men, but they speak Chinese like little kids. That is an appeal. <laughs> yeah, because it's, it's like sexually enticing, but also like, oh, isn't that cute? Uh... They're able to contain their westernized masculinity by belittling them in other ways. Like, for instance, by mocking their, their Chinese or their Mandarin. Oh, interesting. But at the same time, they needed them. Um, this is when in the Hong Kong and Taiwan entertainment industries, I mean, they're looking for fresh blood, especially in Hong Kong. So Hong Kong is a unique situation, too. So let's move to Hong Kong. As we mentioned previously, like 1997 is when Hong Kong is handed over to China. And part of that is that the Hong Kong film industry, is it a subset of the Chinese film industry? Like people are still trying to figure this out. They're trying to figure out what are future directions of the Hong Kong film industry. Should they just now seek the mainland audience? Do they need to reinvent themselves? So in this period of ambiguity, after 1997, some people in Hong Kong, especially a director named Yon Fan, maybe we need new talent here. And Yon Fan was a director primarily interested in gay films. And what he found was that overseas Chinese are way more willing to do gay parts and sexualize themselves in kind of vulnerable ways, more so than a local actor. So that became the entry point for a lot of overseas Chinese actors in a film called Bishonen from 1998. And it's in this film that he kind of discovered a actor named Stephen Fung, an actor named Terence Yin, and an actor named Daniel Wu. And this trio really became known. I mean, I mean Stephen Fung, Terence Yin, they're sort of famous in that they're the children of famous actors in the Hong Kong film industry. They're not really truly discoveries. But Daniel Wu was. Daniel Wu just being some guy from San Francisco. They're like, you look really hot. And you'll take off your shirt. Will you do sex scenes with a man? He's like, sure, why not? I mean, that's part of being an actor. So Bishonen really showcased that not just are these fresh faces, but they're willing to be in new kinds of films and new kinds of films that could potentially transform the film industry. So that's 1998. In 1999, a big media conglomerate called Media Asia that was trying to be the next big studio and they needed new talent. In conjunction actually with, with Jackie Chan's company and agency, like they signed a bunch of these actors that were in Bishonen. And they made a couple of films. One was called Young and Dangerous, the prequel, which 
was basically a prequel to an existing franchise, except they cast the actors when they're younger and they casted ABCs in those parts. So that's one film from 1999. And the other one was Gen X Cops, another Media Asia film starring um, Stephen Fung, Daniel Wu, Terrence Yen, all three from Bishonen, as well as Nicholas Tay, who, um, another son of a famous Hong Kong actor, he grew up in Canada, also starring Jamie Ong from Australia. So it's populated by overseas characters. In the film, a lot of them just use their own names. It's like that in Gen Y Cops, too, where you have people like Edison Chen and Maggie Q filling out the rest of the big names that you associate with Asian Americans making it big in Hong Kong film. That's a pretty common practice in Hong Kong regardless. Oh, yeah? But I think it's a reminder that in Hong Kong, you're very aware of the actor when you're watching the film. You don't really necessarily lose yourself in the film as much as you're watching stars be stars and, and having them have the same name kind of gives you the feeling like you're here with these famous sexy stars and not just with their characters. Because frankly, these characters are not that interesting. <laughs> In fact, they're pretty ridiculous. So maybe we should at least pretend that we know what the synopses of these two films are. These movies are so convoluted and strange. I'm reading the synopses now and I'm still not even sure what it's about. I mean, it's basically like... Imagine an Asian boy band, <laughs> and some of them are part of gangs. The other ones are cops that were kicked out of the force, and then they fight each other. <laughs> that sums it up. <laughs> There's like smuggling of weapons involved. The fighting over a girl. He says that you were flirting with him. Yeah, I was. And then in Gen Y Cops, it's kind of similar, except for there's like a robot on the loose. It's not a Teletubby we're keeping in here. <laughs> yeah, we're just throwing a robot. <laughs> yeah, but it is important that in both of these films, there are adversaries who are from overseas. Yeah. So in Gen X Cops, there's some Japanese villain types. <laughs> and then in Gen Y Cops, they're working with but possibly against the FBI. Headed by Paul Rudd. Headed by Paul Rudd who is headed by great hair. Saying things like, You're the one going to the bamboo Alcatraz. <laughs> Another line. Roseanne Barr Arnold be present in the United States of America before you two punks see the light of day. And then I looked that up, and Roseanne Barr and Tom Arnold had been broken up for like eight years or something. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, who is this joke for? <laughs> The writers were not Asian American, right? But do you know anything about whether the dialogue was infused by these Asian American actors? Because there's a lot of like swearing. There's a lot of like weird wordplay. That I can't tell if it's like you could get it in there because the Asian Americans think it's funny or if it's like that bad because it's not written by Asian Americans. So it's worth saying that Gen X Cops is primarily in Cantonese with some smatterings of like Japanese and English in it. And Gen Y Cops is, it's like a third in English, if not more, maybe even half in English. And part of that was Media Asia's ambitions to become an international media maker. And then I think by casting overseas Chinese, they were able to get people who spoke English to be credible on the world stage. And so your question, I think, is then, just because we want a, a movie that's in English doesn't mean we know how to write an English screenplay. Do you remember when we interviewed Edison Chen? Yeah. This is in 2011. By we, you mean you. You were in the room. <laughs> I was in the room. It was post-scandal. Yeah. It was for Almost Perfect. Shout out to whatever season our Asian Americans in Love season was. I asked Edison 
he had a couple of films in Hong Kong where they were largely in English. I mean, his Cantonese isn't terrible. It's not like Daniel Wu's. Edison's family, I think, actually speaks Cantonese. So I think he grew up with it. But I asked him, between his films, Trivial Matters, which is his role is completely in English, and then in Jin Y Cops, like, did they just make it up as they went along? <laughs> he said, yeah, they were able to just do it as they wished. Ah. And uh, I think that speaks to why it seems like Edison's character, there's some scenes where he speaks in English like a... Uh, I'll just put it bluntly, like like a white person would. And then sometimes he speaks in English as a black person would. And I just feel like that was just what he decided on that day. Oh, hey, if you need a cat peeled or body buried, I'm your man. <laughs> and it was like there's no director who is keeping this consistent. You can also tell throughout the two films that a lot of them are overseas Chinese, but they're from different parts of the world. So there's different English accents going on. Yeah, and they don't really account for it in the... I mean, I think that I think Gen X cops, they talk about the fact that they're from Canada. Yeah, yeah, they talk about Canada a lot. Because Nicholas Tay was famously from Canada. So we, we should talk about the fact in Gen X cops, so they're called the Gen X cops because they are their own subgroup of the police force, and they're all kind of ABC styles. Even though one of the four is played by Sam Lee, his character's name is Alien, but he's a local. Does this have anything to do with Generation X? It, just to the extent that, like, they probably heard of something called Generation X. In America? <laughs> in America. It's like, oh, that must be like a new generation. And then Generation Y makes no sense because they're not a generation apart. <laughs> no, it's just, it's just the next letter in the alphabet. They would have made Gen Z cops if there was money for it. Yeah, it's okay. But what's interesting to me is that Gen X cops is the English title, but the Chinese title of the film, my translation of the title is special cops, new humans. That's a literal <laughs> translation. So there's something about it being like a new species and a new kind of type of human, um, which is, first of all, kind of bizarre. But I think what a great metaphor for this sort of um, hybridized, mutated version of the local that Chinese Americans and overseas Chinese and Chinese Canadians to someone in Hong Kong may as well be a new species of themselves. You get the sense of that in the way that they're performing. Like, these cops don't look and sound like any other cops in the film. They're way over the top. They like to scream a lot. They like to break all the rules. They're like, they like skydiving and like making fun of the older cops. They seem to be these free spirits. They're dressed a little bit more flamboyantly. They don't seem as um, kind of ethically pure as local folks. They're bad boys. Yeah, they're like bad boys. You know, when I was watching Gen X Cups, it took me a while to realize that Daniel Wu was playing a bad guy. He kills his brother pretty early in the movie. Yeah, but his brother didn't seem that great. <laughs> they all seem to be part of the same clique. You feel like these three cops, plus Daniel, plus Terrence Yin, who is Daniel Wu's like driver or something in this movie, they all seem to be cut from the same cloth. So Stephen Fung plays a cop, and he's described as kind of a gigolo. Like, I think they usually use the word gigolo to describe him, saying, like, every time you meet a woman, you just have to, like, talk to her and sleep with her or something. And then with Nicholas Tay's character, they talk about how he's always, like, fighting. He's, like, in the street driving a sports car. And Nicholas Tay also famously loved to drive sports cars around Hong Kong. Nobody in Hong Kong drives. But if you are Nicholas Tay, you can. He used to get in car accidents all the time, um, like James Dean style, like that kind of bad boy. Daniel Wu's character in this movie is... I don't think this is controversial anymore. He is a terrible actor in his early years. You son of a bitch! But he's so perfect in his role. He's like the Keanu Reeves of Hong Kong in this period. Just like no expression, just like stone-faced model-looking guy. And you can kind of just put him anywhere. And, and what I love about this is you get the sense that 
these actors, and just think about it. Three years before these movies came out, they were nobodies. They weren't famous or anything. They were just some random people like us hanging out in the United States. But they definitely have this energy. Like, when the director yells cut, I feel like they're looking at each other like, I can't believe we're doing this. <laughs> like, who allowed us to be in this movie, this super blockbuster movie? We aren't really actors. We're just, like, laughing the whole time. We could barely speak in Cantonese. Who allowed this? And then there is Edison Chen. This is Hong Kong. My town, my turf, my business. And I'm not going back until I take down Kurt. For Gen Y Cops, Nicholas Tay is not in this one. Daniel Wu is not in this one. But Edison Chen is here and Maggie Q is here. And this is Edison Chen's first feature film. By this point, I think he had done, I think he might have put out a, a rap album. So I was talking to the producer, Bay Logan, who produced these films. And he told me that in his years, decades, observing the Hong Kong film industry, he's never seen somebody go from a zero, like unknown, to mega stardom like Edison Chen did during this period when Gen Y Cops happened. Like he just came out of nowhere and suddenly became the hottest actor in existence in music, in the modeling, fashion world, and in film. He exudes an ABC-ness that is so strong that it makes even Stephen Fung look like a local. He is so cool or acts so cool. You get the sense that he doesn't even want to be in this movie. Like He's like, Ugh, why? Why do I have to say these lines? And it's hilarious to watch because he cares so little that one when he does perk up, it's so obvious like, oh, actually he cares about this scene. And it's usually the scenes where he gets to talk black with his co-star, Richard Sun. Shit, man, you must be making millions ballin', baby! So there is a way in which, like, ABC-ness slips into blackness pretty easily. And that goes to the way that a lot of overseas Chinese stars, they become rappers in Hong Kong and Taiwan. This kind of performance of blackness becomes a way of, like, an authentication that they are truly overseas. And it adds to their exoticness. It's like it's proof that he is properly westernized. And, and weirdly enough, I think because of that performance of like a Western authenticity, his character becomes more credible as somebody who can like work with and against the FBI in, in this movie. And then there's Maggie Q. Her part is completely in English. She's pretty good in this. I mean, like for a very, very early role of hers. We had injured agents in the water back there, Ian. They weren't the priority. They weren't your priority. We get a contrast between China, which is technologically backwards and kind of like they're like hicks basically and on the other end you have chinese america and overseas chinese who are clearly the cool ones and in hong kong in the year 2000 trying to figure out are they going to assimilate with china which is a very credible market option for the hong kong film industry or are they going to go to the world and try to address the world as potential audiences you see that with a film like this they choose the world and the other interesting thing is gen y cops comes out the same year as Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Interesting. Which is another film financed, like it's in many ways a Hong Kong film, and with a lot of overseas talent. By overseas, I mean including like greater China, so including like Taiwan, Malaysia, etc. But also with Ang Lee, who is associated with Hollywood. Another kind of global Chinese film as a potential option of trying to carve out the future of Hong Kong. And that's the one that wins. That's the one that it has endured to this day. But like in the year 2000, when the Hong Kong film industry was trying to figure out its future vis-a-vis -vis China, for a second, it seemed like Chinese Americans and Chinese Canadians were going to be part of that equation. With this strange, cosmopolitan, demented world of Gen X cops and Gen Y cops. And these weren't the only films. Wong Lee Home was in some films. There was a film called Purple Storm. They were like heavily investing in this as a potential future of Hong Kong cinema. So what happened? 
Crouching Tiger happened. And then, so famously, like someone like Maggie Q famously couldn't be in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, a film that's like a period film because she's mixed race. People didn't know how to make sense of that. Meanwhile, could you imagine Daniel Wu in a film where he speaks, or even if it's dubbed, the equivalent of Shakespearean Chinese? Mm, not back then, but now I can. Now we can. The transition point for him was a film called The Banquet. I don't know if you remember that. It was a Feng Xiaogang film from the mid-2000s. Yes. But for a while, he was just like a pretty boy that was associated with westernization. So if the tides were turning towards more period films, martial arts films, adventure films, like costume pictures, can overseas Chinese fit into that equation? If the reason people love them so much is that they're very westernized. Nicholas Tay was able to make that transition pretty well. He was able to kind of assimilate into the Hong Kong slash Chinese cultural milieu pretty well, but not really with the other ones. Well, the good thing is that a bunch of them actually came back to America where we need them. Like Maggie Q has been fairly successful on TV and film here. Daniel Wu with Into the Badlands and Stephen Fung is actually the executive producer of that. And Edison Chen, we all know what happened with Edison Chen. I actually would argue that um, Edison Chen's downfall was also the industry's way of punishing the ABC. Yeah. I mean, you see it in the films. Like, in the films, they pick on these characters. Like, in Gen Y Cops, they say, oh, all you want to do is have, like, one-night stands. So, like, it was written into their character types that overseas Chinese are just a little bit more frivolous when it comes to, to sex and relationships. So, when Edison Chen was caught in real life, just, like, having sexual relationships, it was easy for them to punish him for it. Because it was part of his persona. It was part of his, like, deviance from proper Chineseness in Hong Kong. Yeah, and it didn't help that the photos that were leaked were of him and Hong Kong actresses with very good girl personas. Yeah, I think in hindsight, it was like, people really overreacted and destroyed careers. Like, not just Edison's career. All, all the, the women. women. That, yeah. Right. So I also want to mention just briefly that in Gen Y Cops, there is another actor named Christy Chung who plays... One of the cops, it's a character named Inspector Chung, of course, but she was like a slightly earlier generation of overseas Chinese actors in Hong Kong. So she's more of like the Russell Wong, Michael Wong generation. So she was also known for just being a little bit sexier, and it was nice that they like that she got a role in in Gen Y Cops too. And so it's not just the new generation of of overseas Chinese, but why not bring her into the fold as well? So I'd heard about these movies for a long time, but I just watched Gen X Cops and Gen Y Cops like yesterday. So when did you watch them for the first time? I watched them for my dissertation research. So that, I probably watched it like around 2009 or 2008. <laughs> Were you like, what the hell am I watching? Yeah, I mean, I, because I, when we talk about like this ABC fever thing, as observers from the United States, I remember when the LA Boys things happened in the 90s. We're like, really? You guys are falling for this? <laughs> and and partly because like I would be called to ABC too. And it's like, why are you wrapping me into this? Wrapping with an R. <laughs> like, like well, into this like charade. But really, it's, really, it's the stereotyping of it. So I, I think I've always looked down on it or just like, I've always been skeptical of it. So watching Gen X Cops and Gen Y Cops, I sort of see right through. It's like, wow, you're really just... Really just going <laughs> for it. I, I guess I could watch it and have fun. Because so in, in Gen Y Cops, Maggie Q has one of just the most ridiculous lines in it. She's having a conversation with Edison's character, I think. And Edison's character says something like, please give us one last chance. And then Maggie Q says, yeah, one last chance to die and it's just so stupid but you you look at maggie q's face as she's delivered it her face says i cannot believe i'm in this movie <laughs> she's not just like making fun of the movie she's like i cannot believe one that i'm in a movie 
and two, that these count as lines, and I'm getting away with this. Yeah, and they're doing these crazy action scenes, running away from fire and explosions. So I could watch them now this way out of just pure joy that this is the most fun we ever see Asian American actors have in film. They would have never gotten to do that in a Hollywood action movie. Yeah. They would be doing like super, super independent Asian American films, which are fun in a different way. And the films are super popular. Edison Chen got nominated for Best Newcomer at the Hong Kong Film Awards for this. Like, this is, this is like no joke. He's really good at just being like the cool guy who doesn't really care. And I love how like not caring becomes the ultimate virtue of these characters. <laughs> because the weird, the crazy thing is 1999 when Gen X Cops came out, this is not that far removed from like John Woo's Hard Boiled. It's these John Woo movies where action masculinity and heroism is defined by your sacrifice for your fellow man and your, your loyalties and like really old school kind of virtues. Whereas in Gen X Cops and Gen Y Cops, these so-called heroes don't have any of those virtues. No, they really don't. All that matters is that they brood and they look like such hot people and they don't care. And somehow like that's the new virtue. And maybe that's that can only... And that can really last so long before it gets kind of obnoxious. Yeah. The cool thing is like it's very anti-model minority. Yeah, definitely. These are like the non-model anything. <laughs> like it's like socially, let alone to let them be law enforcement and working with the FBI. <laughs> I mean, it really makes no sense. It was clearly a marked difference from the other kinds of action films that were in Hong Kong at that time. And, and, and I guess like as soon as they were deemed like not the kind of stars they, that the industry wants to invest in, these movies naturally would disappear too. Yes. Yeah, so speaking of disappearing, where can people watch Gen X Cops or Gen Y Cops? So they got U.S. distribution. So there may be people like this is like total bargain bin, used DVD bin fodder. It's a relic of its time, but it's also a relic of a time when you had to get movies on DVD. Yeah, so not quite available for streaming. But listeners, we have faith that if you really want to watch them, you'll figure out a way. Saturday School is a proud member of Potluck, a collective of podcasts that feature stories and voices from the Asian American community. It's produced by me and Brian. Our logo is by Grace Talis Lee. Our theme song is courtesy of Rimsky Music and Premium Beat. Check out our website at SaturdaySchoolPodcast.com or you can tweet us. I'm at Ada Singh, A-D-A-T-S-E-N-G. Brian's at Who's Brian, H-U-S-B-R-I-A-N. And the podcast Twitter handle is WakeUpSatSchool. Next week, your assignment is to watch Slav Diaz's 2001 film, Batong West Side. Class dismissed. Hey guys, if you need something extra to listen to, check out First of All by Minji Chang. Recently, she's had some really fun guests, including comedians Sherry Cola and Atsuko Okatsuka. Check out that and other podcasts at podcastpotluck.com. See you next week!